This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. A million dollars here, a million dollars there. Pretty soon, you're talking about real money. Unless, of course, you're running for political office. Then you need lots more. Especially if you're an incumbent member of Congress running against another incumbent. And especially if you're running against someone backed by former President Donald Trump. And especially if you're running against a lightning rod incumbent who thrives on controversy and raises money hand over fist. Welcome back to Political Theater. Herb Jackson, CQ Roll Call's political editor and senior staff writer Kate Ackley are going to help us understand their takeaways from the first quarter of political fundraising in this, the year of our midterm election, 2022. Herb and Kate, welcome. Welcome back. Uh, I I always love having you on the the program because you, you guys always... Go in, in very cool directions when you're looking at all that uh, FEC data. And Herb, I know you're a fiend for spreadsheets and finding this stuff. Let's let's start uh, with one of my favorite topics, which, uh, Kate, you'll, you'll remember this. Uh, actually, both of you will remember this. Our former colleague, Paul Singer, who's up in the Boston area uh, applying his trade, he referred to this round of elections after redistricting as a uh, hot member on member action uh, when a, an incumbent has to run against another incumbent because of redistricting. In this case, we have 10 incumbents running against each other in this current uh, primary season. Eight are in states that are losing a seat or more in, in the re- reapportionment round and one that is staying the same, Georgia. Um, or Georgia staying the same, right? They didn't gain a seat. Right? It is, but yeah. the Republicans um, that controlled the redistricting right. process, the, you know, they drew the the new um, sixth district to be unfavorable for Democrats. Right. So. All right. So let's so let's look at that. Let, let, let's let's start with some of the the, the sort of. Uh, fundraising sort of juggernauts among these members uh, running against one another. Let's start with Michigan. Let's start at the top uh, of, of the of the map, so, so to speak, uh, with Michigan, where we have a couple of incumbents, uh, Haley Stevens and Andy Levin, both Democrats uh, in, in the uh, Wolverine state going against each other. What did, what did you find out from looking at uh, their fundraising reports from the first quarter? Uh, well, if you just look at how much money each Haley Stevens and Andy Levin raised, um, Stevens raised about 1.1 million, which she was, I think, the only one of these 10 incumbents to raise over a million dollars. So that is, you know, you were talking about the million dollar club. That's noteworthy. I mean, none of these uh, 10 incumbents who are facing, a, you know, another incumbent uh, were like the superstar fundraisers. We don't have any Katie Porters, you know, of course, she's the Democrat from California, who I, I think, didn't she raise, you know, uh, double digits? Um, so n- nobody, nobody along those lines, we don't have the superstar fundraisers in this group, but she was the one who raised over a million, about 1.1 million to Andy Levin's, you know, a little over uh, $760,000 in the first quarter. So that's three months. Um, both of them 
do accept money from corporate PACs. So they, they had a, a pretty sizable amount from, from PACs and other, you know, sort of uh, their leadership PACs, their colleagues gave them, you know, give them money. <laughs> Um, but again, Stevens was pretty far ahead with uh, 168000 to his about 65000 in terms of PAC money. So, you know, we're, it, she's clearly ahead when it comes to the, the money. But, you know, we'll just stand back. And I know you all know this, that, you know, dollars don't equal votes. So, you know. <laughs> And, and you know, and, and we should know, too, that as you were talking about it with Georgia, I mean, like this, um, you know, redistricting can throw members into different uh, districts for different reasons. In the case of Michigan, uh, it was less sort of a, a partisan thing where, you know, a Republican controlled legislature threw in two, dem- you know, sort of uh, Democrats against each other. Uh, Michigan is working with an it in a for the first time, an independent redistricting commission. They're also dealing with the loss of a seat in reapportionment. And so this was a consequence of, of uh, you know, people being kind of motivated to be, to take the partisanship out of the redistricting process. And it sort of threw these two in t- together. And in a, in, a, in a year when Democrats are facing long odds about holding the majority because of just political trends, this is one of those like headaches that the Democratic Party has. And, and we almost had, one more because Fred Upton decided to retire or he was looking at a race against Bill Huizenga. And, you know, now that's not going to happen because Fred's retiring. Two, yeah, two Republicans. And, and Upton, you know, was, is, has been around since the 1980s. I mean, he's, he's a longtime member, respected on both sides of the aisle. And he, you know, he just kind of said, yeah, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. Uh, but Kate, Kate, you were you were about to say just following up on Michigan before we before we leave Michigan for another uh, state in the Midwest. Well, we can we can move on. Are we going to move to Illinois then? Is that? <laughs> yes, we are moving to Illinois. We're not we're not physically moving to Illinois, but we are moving the this portion of the podcast uh, to Illinois, where we have not one but two member versus member. Uh, contest one uh, featuring Democrats in the Chicagoland area, and one featuring Republicans, sort of downstate. Let's talk about their their races, Kate, and uh, and w- what kind of money they're raising, and what kind of members we're talking about. Well, the the two Republicans that are in a member versus member matchup, uh, that's an interesting race. We have Rodney Davis, who is um, he's a former Hill staff. Uh, former Hill staffer and has been in Congress, and he raised almost a million dollars. So he's, um, you know, a, has a strong fundraising base. And he is uh, against uh, Mary Miller in a primary. She is a freshman uh, Republican. She has the endorsement of former President Donald Trump. And she started her tenure on Capitol Hill. Uh, amid controversy where she was speaking to a group of people and she praised um, Hitler, uh, you know, and subsequently apologized. I think she said something that, uh, that Hitler had been right about, you know, whoever has the youth on their side is going to win. Um, But, you know, obviously you, you get into trouble when you're uh, invoking Hitler. So she had to apologize. And this was like within the first days of, uh, of this Congress in uh, January of 2021, um, which was, you know, just really um, unusual times with the Capitol um, uh, riot and everything. So her fundraising was 
okay. She raised a little over $335,000 for the quarter. And again, Rodney Davis was uh, just shy of a million, uh, about $935,000. He got a lot from sort of the DC PAC community. Um, You know, he is not, some of the people who we'll probably talk about who don't, who, who Trump endorsed against, you know, did something like vote for um, impeachment or have taken a position like Wyoming uh, Congresswoman Liz Cheney, you know, taken a position against Trump. Well, Rodney Davis really has not. I mean, he says positive things about Trump. He's kind of walking that fine line. But anyway, Trump has endorsed Mary Miller. She got a lot of money from the small donors, more more money from small donors than Rodney Davis did. And again, he got tons of his money from PACs. Many of these are corporate PACs. He got like over $600,000 from PACs, where she got 6000 You know, corporate PACs really don't want to be associated with her, given her um, controversial, her con- you know, the controversy surrounding her. So that's an interesting race to watch. The money, obviously, they need to have, they need to have money to be competitive, but Again, this is a very Republican district. That's why this primary, like a lot of these other primaries, is kind of the race. You know, to the person who comes out of the primary is likely to be, uh, you know, win the seat. And and I think you know what what you're the way you're describing the, the two members. It really does like sort of get at the heart of what. That you know some of the forces that are shaping the Republican Party right now, which is that Davis and I, I looked it up. He is actually in his fifth term uh, now, but as you said, longtime Hill staffer before. He's been in, involved with the House Administration Committee. He's kind of an institutionalist uh, and and mild mannered and plays in the baseball game and all this kind of stuff. And then you have Barry Miller, who's like this uh, younger generation, a little bit more fiery, you know, a little bit more you know in tune with the rhetoric of of the former president Donald Trump duking it out. And again, like you said, the primary is is where this race is going to be decided for the most part. Yeah. And not to focus too much on him, but you know, he has been one of those kind of perennial embattled incumbents, but because of how his current district is, it was seen as competitive. Um, he was one of those blue wave survivors of 2018. He almost lost. He had the same challenger in 2020. Um, and and beat her again. So this is a different kind of race for him. This is obviously it's the primary. So while he's now in a safe, you know, a safe Republican seat, uh, you know, he he has a very competitive race in a different way than he had had in recent cycles. And then in the Chicagoland area, the Democrats have two uh, two of their own facing off against one another. Uh, two relatively recent uh, me- members, uh, Sean Caston is in his second term. Marie Newman is in her first. Uh, Newman knocked off Dan Lipinski, uh, who was sort of uh, a lot of progressive groups like kind of like last white whale of moderate anti-abortion Democrats. Uh, she knocked him off in the in the primary. She immediately got into trouble <laughs> with the ethics committee because it came out that she had made an agreement with a, a, a potential primary opponent to hire him on her staff and then didn't do it or something. You know, it, it, was, it was sort of an ethical mess. And uh, they're duking it out in, in the Chicago area. And what's what's their financial uh, financials look like? Yeah, she is lagging in um, fundraising to, to Marie Newman is lagging to Sean Caston. And you have to 
figure that the ethics issues, which have really been going on for months, um, may may be in, involved in that. Um, she definitely was viewed as kind of a progressive darling during her um, challenge, uh, her successful challenge uh, to Lipinski, who was, as you said, anti-abortion rights. And, you know, so she came on in this, you know, more sort of with this progressive um, support of abortion rights groups and organizations like that. She, uh, in the first quarter, raised about 230000 which, you know, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not a good number. You know, it doesn't, it's not a sign of strength. I guess when we talk about these kind of numbers, um, you know, sometimes I think we get a little uh, jaded almost because we see these huge piles of cash for the star fundraisers and Senate candidates, you know, coming in with, you know, t- tons of millions of dollars. But but even so, 231000 for a competitive primary against a, another incumbent isn't so great. And Kasten brought in about uh, a little under 800000 So, you know, he has obviously more. And then in terms of what they have on hand, which is the money that they had in the bank, ready to spend as of March 31st, he has a little over 2 million and she has about half a million. So, um, you know, he obviously has the edge finance wise. Um, and I, I do think her, um, you know, her uh, ethics issues have been a setback. I mean, she, she had a lot of support from uh, abortion rights groups, um, you know, in, in the 2020 election against Lipinski. And even if there's a slight drop off there uh, in, in their organizational prowess or their or their financial support, uh, that that's the kind of thing that, you know, can can throw an election. And again, this is same same. It's like the, the corollary to the, the downstate, you know, member versus member race. Whoever wins this primary is going to be the next Congress. That's right. And and I, I will just say that when we talk about outside spending, the money that they have in their campaign fund, you know, it, it doesn't look at what these outside organizations, super PACs or other, you know, organizations can spend. They can come in and they can dump millions of dollars at, at a moment's notice um, in support or in opposition to a candidate. And, you know, that's a threat that all these candidates um, in, incumbents and challengers alike have to have to contend with. You know, there there are really big money organizations that work independently outside of the cam- the the actual campaigns of these um, candidates, and they can come in and and drop huge amounts of money, negative TV ads usually, um, and other things. So we're looking at the money that the actual campaigns have at their disposal to spend how they want. But there's a whole other universe of political money that they do not control. Slotting over to uh, Appalachia uh, and the, uh, my former state that I moved, uh, lived in uh, for a short period of time uh, in the early 2000s, West Virginia. Uh, West Virginia also losing a, a, a seat in the reapportionment, which has thrown uh, two Republican incumbents. It's an all uh, Republican House delegation uh, together uh, in in a district where they are in a primary battle, and that's Alex Mooney uh, and David McKinley. And um, th- this this is a very interesting race, you know, to me. Again, it, it, it's first. Let's talk about the money, and then we'll talk about some of the dynamics on it. 
Yeah, there are. I mean, there are some factors in the <laughs> within the Republican Party. You have a Trump endorsement. You have ethics issues. So Alex Mooney raised less money, but just slightly. I mean, they're kind of neck and neck. He he was at about uh, four hundred and sixty thousand, and McKin- David McKinley was about four eighty thousand. So kind of rounded about half a million uh, for each of them. Granted, this is. This is the part of West Virginia that extends closer into the D.C. suburbs and areas. So, I mean, like television isn't dirt cheap necessarily, but it's not as expensive to run in in parts of West Virginia as it is in, say, like Chicago uh, or or a place like that. So uh, you mentioned the, the uh, ethics and Trump's and Trump endorsements and so forth. Uh, uh, Mooney uh, has is has been the subject of uh, an ethics probe uh, in the House over his misuse of campaign financing or his campaign finances. Uh, our own Chris Marquette's done a lot, a lot of reporting on that. Uh, there's a lot there. Uh, I've, I've, <laughs> uh, and uh, and McKinley uh, is, you know, actually has, according to our own CQ vote studies, has has voted with uh, voted with Trump more often than Mooney did during Trump's presidency. Uh, yet Mooney got the endorsement <laughs> because McKinley voted for the infrastructure bill, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, right. Uh, that is why the president, the former president's statement said he, he needed to be replaced. But he is also able to run, as he's campaigning, go and do infrastructure hits, you know. That's true. I mean, and there, you know, this is this is an issue with which, you know, West Virginians are very, you know, familiar with because for decades and decades they had Robert C. Byrd uh, in his perch uh, from the Appropriations Committee funneling millions of dollars, billions of dollars, really over the course of several decades to making sure that the roads uh, were uh, it actually sort of ship shape. Uh, a friend of mine jokes that when you uh, when you're in uh, uh, the West Virginia Virginia border, when you cross from Virginia into West Virginia, you lose cell service, but the roads are really nice. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all named after Bird. <laughs> yes, I, I think there was an alley named after Bird in Charleston one time when I saw that. I was like, okay, this is getting a little out of hand. <laughs> All right, uh, and then uh, let, let's uh, finish with Georgia, which we started a little bit, and then we're going to uh, talk a little bit about Trump-backed uh, uh, candidates after that. But the Georgia, the Georgia race that, that we referred to earlier, Kate, between uh, Lucy McBath and Carolyn Bordeaux, uh, that they were they're two Democratic incumbents. They were thrown into the same sort of district, uh, or felt felt that they felt they had to run against one another. Yeah, well, Lucy, yeah, because McBath's district, they're running, both of them are running now for Georgia's 7th district. Um, McBath currently represents the 6th, but the way that the, um, you know, the way that the state lawmakers drew those lines, it made it unwinnable really for a Democrat, the 6th district. So she entered the race um, for the 7th district, which uh, Bordeaux uh, represents currently. And McBath um, raised about $800,000 for the first quarter, uh, you know, more than Bordeaux, who raised almost $600,000. Neither one takes corporate PAC money. So they they don't, neither of them has tons of PAC money, like, you know, under $50,000 for both, $13,000-ish for Bordeaux. And McBath has about $35,000. from PACs, uh, those the PACs that they have donations from are PACs from other lawmakers called leadership PACs, 
um, and sometimes interest groups that are not corporations but are more ideological. Um, Macbeth has, uh, you know, she's been a, a kind of a gun control activist. That's what motivated her to run initially. Um, her son tragically was a victim of gun violence. And so that has, you know, she talks about that regularly. That has been something that motivated her to run. And so um, some of the gun control groups like Every Town um, have uh, been, you know, behind her. Um, but, it, you know, certainly this is one of those where it, it pits the pits a Democrat against a Democrat. And, um, you know, in terms of the fundraising, at least, um, McBath right now, um, you know, has has the edge in terms of cash on hand she has almost three million she has about 2.9 and Bordeaux has about 2.1 so they're it's not that far off and again you know the stuff the thing about the money is that they obviously have to have enough to be competitive they have to have enough to be viable and they obviously both do so and and they're they're also you know Georgia is just so interesting this year too because we have you know we have a high profile Senate race and and Raphael Warnock the incumbent is is running his you know one potential opponent is a Trump backed uh, candidate Herschel Walker former football player uh, and mixed martial artist I think too uh, and you know they've they've raised just gobs of money Warnock like over 13 million dollars you know in the last quarter and you know Walker raised you know five or six million or something like that and and it, it which sounds like a lot until you compare it to Warnock right. <laughs> and then you got to get this this big governor's race uh you know like it, which is interesting at the primary level between Kemp and Purdue and then also you know Stacey Abrams awaits uh the, the winner of that so it's it's, it's going to be a lot going on in Georgia um for for this uh you know this election uh, Herb, uh, Kate mentioned Liz Cheney uh, a little earlier in the podcast. Uh, Liz Cheney, of course, is uh, one of the two Republicans on the January 6th Select Committee investigating the insurrection. She's been a pretty vocal uh, critic of the former president and his um, unfounded claims of, of election fraud. Uh, he has uh, made it known that he wants uh, you know, her gone from Congress. Uh, let's talk about her primary. What, how, what kind of money she's raised, and what kind of money her opponent has raised? Yeah, this is this is ridiculous money for a place like Wyoming. I mean, she raised two point nine million in the quarter, and she finished with almost six point eight million in the bank on March thirty first. Um, Harriet Hegeman, who is the Trump backed challenger, she raised one point three million. So that's still a ton of money. Um, you know, they both picked up a half a million dollars or more from people giving less than $200. Uh, you know, when we talk about small donors, it's weird. The FEC says you have to disclose the name of the donor if they give more than $200. If they give less, it's just listed as one line. It's called anonymized. So we were able to see those numbers separated. We're supposed to be able to do that with our expenses, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Except the it's app, like under 25 bucks. just pays me, yeah. Um, but, you know, but Hageman is sitting on a million dollars. And in terms of PACs, you know, the thing is that in the other races where it was member, member, you know, PACs tend not to give to challengers. Uh, now, you do see for Hageman a line of 58000 for from PACs, but PACs include PACs of House members. And there was an effort, uh, I think about 10000 of that was from Kevin McCarthy himself, the minority leader, uh, his, his committees. Um, and he 
pushed some of his colleagues to donate to her. I think she got more than 36,000 that we could identify just in this quarterly report from other House Republicans who would like to see their former conference leader, the person they ousted from the conference leadership, uh, defeated. It's going to make for uh, very awkward Thanksgiving conversations if Cheney wins, I would guess. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it was uh, it, and and when, when you talk about the money too, I mean, you, you refer to this like that, that this is this is almost silly uh, in a place like like Wyoming, where there's only so many ads you can buy. Uh, I mean, w- w- with with that, you money could just for, sit at the gas pump and right. just fill it up for everybody. Right. <laughs> I mean. Uh, so, so th- it's, that, that is a watch. And it also, it's, it's interesting that even with this big, you know, grudge match that Trump has against Cheney and with the full power of the minority leader, the potential next speaker of the house and Kevin McCarthy, Liz Cheney is still outraising her opponent. Right. Well, let's not forget that, you know, Liz Cheney's father is the former vice president. Dick Cheney was a master of fundraising in different cycles there's a lot of contacts that they can pull on. And it's also, you know, it's it, in some cases an argument of what the Republican Party is, right? Because, you know, you have the Bush wing, which Trump did everything he could to throw dirt on, you know, when he was a candidate, when Jeb was running, but also after he became president, he just tried to make it clear that his his administration was doing everything right. And, you know, George Bush, who seemed to recognize there were other countries in the world, was doing everything wrong. So there is this fight, and there are a lot of Republicans who are torn on it. But yeah, you're right. I mean, if she wins, let's imagine she were to win, and she could because this is a primary where you don't need to get 50% of the vote, um, and it's a state where Democrats don't have a big opportunity to pick up a seat. If they're in the majority, where, what role does she have You know, in, in next Congress? But we can write that story in December, right? Right. Uh, so what one of the one thing this this you know gets to a little bit more of the coverage that you all did too in looking at these FEC numbers that it's not I mean you I guess you could consider Liz Cheney you know from a different perspective a lightning rod there are some other uh, there are some other members uh, who are being challenged from I guess you would say the more kind of establishment or country club Republicans if you will although Trump basically lives at his own country club. So that I don't know if that yeah, another makes word we can't use, right? <laughs> um, but so in North Carolina, Madison Cawthorn, you know, who's talked about uh, cocaine fueled orgies uh, in, in Washington and uh, carrying a gun onto the house floor and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and has you know, Instagrammed himself, uh, speaking of Hitler uh, at, at Hitler's uh, vacation home in, in, in Germany, you know, saying that it was a lifelong thing he wanted to do. So he's, he is enjoys the support. Of, of the former president. Uh, and Tom Tillis, who's the uh, incumbent uh, senator, Republican senator, uh, he is headlining a fundraiser pretty soon for uh, for somebody who is taking on Cawthorn in the primary. Uh, the, wh- 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 what are the finances like there? And I, I forgive me, the name is escaping me of the- it's, uh, Yeah, it's Chuck Edwards. Chuck and Edwards, he's, right. he's a state lawmaker in North Carolina. Um, he's a former McDonald's employee. I was looking up who his, he got PAC money from, and one of them was from McDonald's. And that's, you know, it's unusual for company PACs to give to challengers. It's just not common. But I looked up his bio, and he had been an, a McDonald's employee turned franchisee. So he actually owned a, a, a franchise, I think, where he had worked. 
Um, but he is uh, challenging Madison Cawthorn, mm-hmm. um, and he'll be uh, doing a fundraiser next week with Tom Tillis, who's the uh, Republican senator, a Republican senator from the state, and also and, a bunch and of former, lobbyists. former state house speaker too. So mm-hmm. they've got that connection he, yeah. uh, with with the legislature there. But uh, K Street lobbyists are going to be uh, coming to his uh, his aid. And you asked about how much uh, Cawthorn uh, brought in about uh, five six hundred and fifty thousand. Um, but I think he was one of the ones that you know he it just he didn't have the the same kind of fundraising you know that he he couldn't keep up with his spending. Um, he you know he spent more in the first quarter than he brought in. You know, and that's you know it's like you you it's like if you uh, spend more than your salary, right? You have then you're then you end up with, uh, at some point, you're going to end up with a deficit. So um, Edwards uh, also got money from some DC PACs that we, we find noteworthy, the National Association of Realtors and the National Restaurant Association. Again, the restaurant connection, he was uh, you know, a McDonald's um, franchisee. Um, but we're seeing a lot of the establishment types, DC lobbyists, um, mostly Republicans, but a few Democrats who have given to these um, primary challengers of uh, the, what we've called kind of lightning rod Republicans. Another one is Marjorie Taylor Greene in Georgia. She has a primary um, coming up next month at the end, towards the end of next month. Uh, she's facing Jennifer Strahan, a former kind of healthcare executive um, who has the backing of a number of DC lobbyists and other kind of DC insiders. Um, and so, you know, we, we sort of looked at that, um, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene has been a strong fundraiser and, uh, Jennifer Strahan did not beat her out, if you will, but, um, but she does have the support of, you know, some, uh, DC insider types, some PACs. Um, Strahan also got a donation from the leadership PAC that is, uh, controlled by, Louisiana Republican Senator Bill Cassidy, um, and she got some business kind of connected PAC money. Um, former Congresswoman Barbara Comstock, who's kind of uh, an anti-Trump type, she also gave to um, to Strahan. So did former Senator Don Nichols. And we found a Democratic lobbyist, Jeff Forbes from Forbes Tate Partners. He gave a donation to Strahan. It's interesting. One of the Democrats, uh, kind of the leading Democrat who would face um, Marjorie Taylor Greene in that district, that's a very, very Republican district, but this uh, Democrat, Marcus Flowers, is running against her. He is raising a huge pile of money. Um, and, and it's because, you know, he gets the, the people from Act Blue, you know, the online donors, they are uh, trying, you know, and really you wonder if that money is really well spent, but anyway, uh, the way that, the way that green could really lose is in the primary, as opposed to a Democrat is unlikely to win in that district. Yeah. And, and I, I think, you know, this, you mentioned like the money and, and like, you know, where, you know whether this is like sort of a you know money well spent going to somebody like flowers or or somewhere else but there's i think this brings up also the the, the broader point is just that um you know the the 
whether it's inflation or whether it's just more interest in, in politics or whatever, there is just a lot of money being raised right now. I mean, it's just an enormous amount. And one of the the really interesting things I noted uh, from from the reporting that you all did the past week as you're pouring over all this FEC data is that a million dollars just is not that uncommon anymore. <laughs> like, to, I mean, it used to be an eye popping amount for a house, uh, you know, a house, you know, incumbent or challenger to raise a million dollars. Like, wow, that's really serious. And now it's like, eh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, we, we looked at back in the first quarter of 2020, which is just the last cycle, um, 18 house members or candidates raised a million or more. Um, and this cycle, there were at least 18 Democrats. Uh, uh, we, we were we're still finding other candidates, partly because our data and the FEC data, with all the district changes, we didn't get everything together as fast as we could. Uh, but then there were also fourteen Republicans, and you know you you've got some people. You it's funny. There's two kinds of people. There's the people who are either in leadership or you see on cable news all the time, like Adam Schiff or. Uh, Kate mentioned Katie Porter. I mean, Katie Porter raised $3.1 million and 54% of it came in amounts of under $200. I mean, that's, and she's sitting on um, $17.8 million. So, you know, if there should be another Senate race coming up in California, <laughs> uh, she would be well positioned to run in it. That's possible. But, you know, the top, the top fundraisers with this million dollar group you know, Adam Schiff, who I see on cable TV news a lot, he picked up $3.8 million in the quarter. Nancy Pelosi picked up 3.3. On the Republican side, Kevin McCarthy, 4.5. Uh, Steve Scalise, the majority, minority whip, right? Yep. Um, picked up 3.5. And, you know, those leaders, they're not using it for their own races. You should understand. They're then parceling it out to party committees and helping to elect people that they want in their their caucus, um, and and it is interesting that you know the money is pouring to McCarthy and Scalise. We could wonder whether or not donors are betting that they're going to be in the majority in the next cycle, um, you know, in the next Congress. Uh, but you know, you also had some challengers in here. Uh, you know, Kate mentioned mentioned Marcus Flowers. He's up there with three two point four million. Um, but there's also a candidate named Asif Mahmoud in uh, California. He raised $1.4 million. Uh, you, you, and the weird thing is when you look at the, you know, the amount that came from small donors. I'm sorry. He raised $1.4 million uh, yeah, from, from, from his total committee. Um, and he got about nine-tenths of a percent of that from small donors. But there are people who are raising 50% of their money from small donors. So some of them are actually playing the getting people to write $2,900 checks or multiple $2,900 checks because you can give for yourself, your spouse, your chill, your minor, minor your partners, children. Partners in and, your K Street lobby. And then firm. you can also <laughs> give for the general and the primary at the same time. You know, so, uh, but, you know, it, it, it is fascinating how fast these things add up because, you know, you, you, you have so many of these people and it used to be a million dollars thing was a was a Senate kind of number because you were running statewide. And now you're just running in one contested, you know, congressional district. Right. 
And 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 we can leave it with this uh, uh, sort of moment of money zen, which is that even those numbers that uh, Pelosi and McCarthy and and Schiff are putting up is nothing compared to what Raphael Warnock and Mark Kelly are raising. <laughs> Raphael Warnock raised more than thirteen million dollars. He has more than twenty five million dollars on hand. Mark Kelly raised $11 million in the first quarter. That gives him more than $23 million on hand. That $11 million was more than all five Republican (laughs) candidates in the primary raised combined. Talk about really, really funny money. I mean, it is, uh, again, they're, they're, uh, People should just be aware that when they're donating, uh, they are they are not alone. Uh, there is a lot of money uh, running around these races. But in in those races, you will see the billionaires putting, you know, ten million dollars in a single super PAC just for that race, um, and and spending it. They've been spending it for months. Although that doesn't include the money that the thirteen million that Warnock is is raising. That's, exactly, that, that's, but that's yeah, what I mean. It's like right. you you you. You, right. you have these hard dollars, the hard dollars they can use. You can't use super PAC money to get the candidate in a plane. You know, you, you can't use super PAC money to actually, you know, like fund, you know, offices for people to sit in. But you, the super PAC money can buy airtime, but they also buy airtime. They run commercials at a much higher ad rate than the candidates. Well, Herb uh, and and Kate, thank you for thank you for spending a lot of quality time with your spreadsheets uh, so that we could do this podcast. <laughs> it, it may be a small subset of the world that likes to nerd out about this, but it is they are our people, uh, and we love we love you for listening to this podcast as we're going over sounding like political accountants, if you will. <laughs> so, thank you very much for for doing all this hard work, and uh, uh, on to Q two. <laughs> And the Q1 mop-up, of course. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you.